there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's open the Word of God together, would you please, to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis again. And I want you to find Genesis chapter number 14. Now, if you were in the Bible study hour, you know that we began with the story of Abram. And, and by the way, I have a hard time saying Abram. But I have to say it because to this point in Genesis, he's not Abraham. Uh, by the time I finish preaching this morning, we're going to have him Abraham. That'll help us the rest of the week, all right? So we're going through a great name change here in just a little bit. Uh, but he is Abram at this point. And in Genesis chapter 12, he has his, his encounter with God. Would you look at me just for a moment? You cannot meet God and be the same. You can go to church and be the same. You can listen to a preacher and be the same. You can have some emotional experience and be the same. But if you really meet God, if you have a head-on collision with the creator God of the universe, I'm telling you, you cannot be the same. And in Genesis chapter 12, God started changing everything in Abram's life. You think, you think he just changed his geographical location because he said, leave home and head to a land you don't know. I want to tell you what God was really changing was his heart. And when God changes your heart, everything else grows and flows out of that. I'm going to come back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 13 in the evening meeting. So if you'd like to read ahead, read Genesis 12 and read Genesis 13. Not while I'm preaching this morning, but on your own time later, all right? In this hour, I bring you to Genesis chapter 14 because I want to place a certain emphasis in this hour. It's a fascinating chapter. I wish I had time to read the whole thing with you. Can I give you the back story before we read our text together? Lot, everybody remember Lot? A lot came out of Ur of the Chaldees with Uncle Abraham and uh, camped with him, lived with him, and then, you know the story, decided he was going to pitch his tent towards Sodom. Before it was done, he wasn't pitching his tent there. He'd bought a house, moved in, was seated at the seat of government at the gate of the city. He made it his home. That was a bad choice. How many of you ever bought a house you wish you hadn't bought? Would you raise your hand? You know, every now and then that happens. Well, I want you to know... It wasn't just that he, he got a bad house. He made a bad direction move for his family. You know the story of, of Lot and his children, the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the city. Before the city burned, before all of that judgment came, God was trying to give him warnings. May I just say to you, God's always trying to speak. The question is not, is he speaking? The question is, are we sensitive to him? And sometimes, like Lot, I'm testifying, not preaching now, we're just too dense to hear what it is God's trying to say to us. Lot got carried away captive. Did you know that? Long before the city ever burned, uh, the city got invaded, and he and his whole family got carried away. And guess who had to come rescue him? Would you like to guess before we read it? His uncle. It's fascinating to me, but when people get in trouble, when people have tragedy, you know who they turn to? 
the people who know God, the people who have not followed in the same way everybody else has. Matter of fact, just look at it. Genesis 14, look at verse number 12. They took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew. Mark that in your Bible. That's a very unusual expression. Abram the Hebrew. That is not just his genealogy. That's not just a reference to his ethnicity. The word that is used here for Hebrew literally means the migrant, the, the person who's just passing through, the guy who's, who's crossing through our our area, the, the one who's traversing the countryside. In other words, Lot had moved in and made himself at home, but Abram wasn't viewed that way. Abram was just the man who was passing through. May I say to you, God's people must always remember that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Be careful not to put down roots too deeply here because eternity is just around the corner. And so Abram, who was a man of peace, by the way, had to become a man of war. He gets 318 of his men together. They get their swords and their spears, and they go after Lot. And look what the Bible says in verse number 14. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Time out just a minute. How many of you think, if that had happened to, to Lot, it would make sense that Lot would finally wake up and say, I think I'm going to follow uh, Uncle Abram's faith and way of life instead of the life I've been living. But he doesn't. And so he persists right on in his own way. And that is the juncture where we find our text. The Bible says, beginning in verse 17, and the king of Sodom, this is interesting to me, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. So you've got two kings. You have the king of Sodom, the king of Salem. Does Salem sound familiar at all? Yeah, Massachusetts, somebody said. I know what region I'm in, yes. Salem sounds a lot like shalom. Same root word, peace. Now think on this just a moment. Sodom, conflict. Salem, peace. Two very different cities, two very different kings. By the way, it might interest you to know that Salem was the ancient Jerusalem. We know Jerusalem today, same city. And so you have these two kings, the king of Sodom, who for the record was a very carnal man. We're going to see that in just a moment. It was all about the money to him and all about stuff. That's how he viewed all of life. And Salem, the king of Salem, a very spiritual man, and we'll see that in just a moment. And so you got the setting. Put yourself in his sandals just a minute, would you? Here's Abraham with his 318 servants, and poor old Lot standing over here looking awful dejected because Uncle Abram had to come save him. And two kings have come out to pay their homage to this, this man Abram that they really don't know that much about, but he got something done they couldn't get done, and he brought all the things that had been carried away back home. And so standing before Abram is the king of Sodom and the king of Salem. And the Bible says, in verse number 18, that the king of Salem brought bread and wine, 
And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now stop just a moment. Do you see the blessings in those verses? Look at all the times you have blessed, 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 blessed. And he blessed him. Can I just remind you of something? Sin brings the curse. God brings the blessing. Would you like to know why the world's in such a mess right now? And it is in a mess. That's not God's fault. Man has chosen to rebel against God, do his own thing, have his own way, and the more he gets what he wants, the less he wants what he get. gets. Everything you see, every famine and every, every sickness and every crime and every horrible thing and every mark of death in this world at this moment is the result of man's rebellion against Almighty God. Sin never gets better. It always gets worse. Sin brings death and darkness. But when God steps in, hallelujah for this, when God steps in, He takes the darkness and makes it light. He takes the death and makes it life. He takes the curse and brings the blessing. And I want to say to you this morning that the God of the Bible, the God at the beginning, is still God today, and that God is the God of blessing. Do you know what God desires? God wants to bless His people. Sometimes people talk about God and think about God like He's some far-off God who just hates everybody and wants life to be perfectly miserable. I want you to know God didn't make you for cursing. God made you for blessing. And if you're missing the blessing, it's not God's fault. It's your own fault. And if you don't believe me, ask a lot. He can testify. And so Abram, who's a man of faith and obedience to God, has the blessing upon him. Keep reading. Look at verse 21. Here's the king of Sodom speaking up now. Remember I said the king of Salem and the king of Sodom were really different? The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Isn't this fascinating? I mean, look, he just spared all their lives, and the only thing this man wants to talk about is how we're going to divide things up. I think perhaps his, his motive was good. He, he was trying to reward Abram. He was trying to be nice to him to give him the, the riches and give him the fortune. But Abram didn't want his money. Abram didn't need his money. He was telling on himself, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The king of Sodom opened his mouth, and when he opened his mouth, he revealed what truly meant something to him because all he could talk about was the material world. I think one of the great marks that our world is so far from God right now is we are so consumed with things, so absolutely consumed with stuff, and we have missed that which truly matters. Look at Abram's response, verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. He looked the king in the face. Think about this. He looked the king in the face and said, I won't take a, I won't take a shoe latchet from you. You think I want your things? You think I, I'm interested in what you can pay me? I want you to know that I will not take a shoelace 
from you, King. Because I don't want you to say that you're the one responsible for making me rich. I don't belong to you. I belong to somebody that is much higher than you. And so we come to the truth of the passage. You see, the main character of this passage is not Abram. And sometimes when we read the Bible and we read about these Bible characters, we get so consumed with their lives. Let me just tell you about Abram. He was a man. He was a real man with lots of flaws and failures, with weaknesses and difficulties and temptations and trials. Sometimes we see these people and we think they're so much higher than we are. They're real people. They're made out of flesh and blood. Everybody look at your neighbor just a second, would you? Not allowed to look at me. Turn and stare at the person seated next to you. If you sat next to the wrong person, it's your fault, not mine, all right? So look at them. You're looking at a certified bowl of dirt right now. That's what you're looking at. Somebody said, that's not nice, preacher. God made man of the dust of the ground, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And someday your body's going back to the dust of the ground, the Spirit's returning to God who gave it. We are all made of the same clay. And God remembers our frame, and those were but dust. And sometimes we get thinking pretty highly of ourselves, and sometimes we get enamored with others. I'm just going to tell you something. We need to stop thinking so highly of ourselves and stop getting so enamored with men, and we need to remember and realize that there is only one who is worthy of praise and glory, and that is the Most High God. Abram is not the main character in this story. God is. Would you take a pen out? Everybody get a pen in hand. I want you to mark this in your Bible, if you will. Because it's found not once, not twice, not three times, four times in the verses we just read. Did you notice the divine repetition? Look, church, when God repeats himself, it is never because he forgot he said it. When God repeats himself, it's because there's something there he doesn't want us to forget that he said. Look at the last phrase of verse number 18. He was the priest of, read it with me, church, the most high God. Underline that in your Bible. Look at verse 19. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of, read it please, the most high God. Look at verse 20. And blessed be the most high God. And look once again at verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord. Would you read it aloud, church? The most high God. Four times. I don't know how it was at your house growing up. At our house, if my mother said something once, we were supposed to listen. Isn't that right, ladies? And if she said it twice, we were really supposed to listen. And if she had to say it three or more times, it was too late to listen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? May I just tell you, when God says something in a handful of verses four times, look, little flags ought to go waving, little bells and, and lights ought to go off, and you're thinking it ought to jump off the page at you. You ought to see God's trying to say something here. It's not about the Most High Abram, and it's not about the Most High King of Salem or the Most High King of Sodom. In fact, I was sitting here thinking a moment ago, this is really the story of three kings. That's what you have here. You have three kings. You have the king of Sodom that pictures all the kings of the earth, all the presidents and prime ministers and potentates, all the dictators and all the men that think they're really in charge and they really got a handle on something. For the record, could I remind you that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So you got the king of Sodom, and then you got the king of Salem, who is representative of a spiritual man, a man leading in the right way, trying to govern under God and over the people like he ought to. But there's a third king. Don't miss the third king because he is not the king of Sodom or the king of Salem. He is the king of heaven and the king of earth and the king of eternity and the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He's the king of all. I hope he's your king. He is the most high God. And this is what has really captured my attention this week. From the beginning, the God who is so high, so high, so above us, so beyond us, so much bigger, so much greater than us, from the beginning, the most high God wanted the most lowly man to know him. From the beginning, the Most High God was trying to reveal himself so that everybody in Sodom and everybody in Salem, so that everybody in this part of the world and everybody in every part of the world would come to know who he truly is. I'm going to warn you about something. When I finish preaching in just a very few moments, I intend to ask everybody in this room to respond this morning. Everybody. And if you say, well, I'm not responding, then you've made your response. And if you say, well, how am I supposed to respond? You'll know when we get there. You'll know. I'm telling you, you can't see the most high God and not respond. You just can't. You can't open the Bible, which is God's revelation of himself, and through eyes of faith get a glimpse of who God truly is and be a spectator. You can't respond that way. No, somewhere every lowly man and every lowly woman, maybe that's our problem. Maybe, maybe excuse me, let me use an old West Virginia term. We're too big for our own britches, you know. Maybe we're so high that we're not really looking at the most high God. Maybe we're so full of ourselves and who we are and what we've accomplished and what we can do and what others think of us that we have not truly recognized how lowly we are and how high he is. But I want you to know, the moment you get a glimpse of God, it's going to change you. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and how did he respond? Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Peter saw him, and what did he say? Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And John saw him, and what did he do? He laid down and played dead at his feet. Because when you get a glimpse of the Most High God, the stuff doesn't mean anything. People don't mean anything. What you think doesn't mean anything. The only thing that matters is what the Most High God says. So what do we learn of him? Well, let's just take the passage, all right? Now let's begin here with the phrase itself, the Most High God. Would you write down somewhere in the margin of your Bible, the first thing God reveals about himself is his position. Where is he? (laughs) He's above everything. He's above it all. See, we're stuck in time. You know that, right? I live live on a schedule. Uh, Yesterday, I had a certain schedule of flights, and and, uh, I, I live on time. We live by calendars and clocks. For the record, I know what time I'm supposed to be done preaching today. How many of you are glad about that? Yes? 
So I know, I know. We live in time. God doesn't live in time. Time lives in God. Somebody said, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Join the club. See, we are finite beings, limited. He is infinite. No limit, no searching of his understanding, no, no, no getting to the depths of his wisdom. God is above all. God holds time in the palm of his hand and looks at all of it. That's how he can see the beginning and the end at the same time. Why is that? Because God's not in time. God lives in eternity. He's the eternal God. He's above everything, all this mess we're watching on the news and all the junk we're seeing in our culture right now. And somebody says, this is out of control. It may look like it's out of control, but I want you to know our God is where he has always been. He is seated on the throne of the universe, and God still has everything under control. And it may look like Satan and all the hounds of hell are doing their worst, but I want you to know the devil's always on God's leash. Martin Luther said, never forget that even the devil is God's devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you understand that God is above all of this? Specifically, the context of the passage was that these were idolatrous people. These were people who had lots of their little gods. Look at this. Abram comes along and says, I want you to know the most high God. Now, the king of Salem comes along and says, I want you to know the most high God. By the way, I love this. Abram's on his journey of faith, right? Abram's on his journey of obedience. And along the way, God sent him little messages to encourage him along the way. That's what Melchizedek was. How many of you know it was an encouragement to Abram's faith when a guy he'd never met before showed up and said, bless Blessed be Abram of the Most High God. I'm telling you, you start following Jesus, and the Lord will send you some messages along the way to confirm you're on the right path. This is the way. Walk in, and you just keep moving forward for the glory of God. God has this under control. Where is his position? It is above all. And so you can line up all those little gods you want to. Go ahead, line up all the little idols you want to. God is above every one of those gods with a little G. God is greater than man, and God is greater than all gods. A few years ago, I was preaching in India. We were having a gospel crusade. It was a great, great event. Lots of people coming to the Lord. Very important in India because of their religious context, that when you call people, to repentance and faith, you make plain to them that they are coming to renounce all of their false gods and take Christ alone for their soul's salvation. Because they're very willing, that, that Hindu part of the world, to add another god. Listen to me. Jesus is not just another you add to. He's the one and only. He's the preeminent one. On the last night of the meeting, this is so precious to me, I was preaching through an interpreter and then, because of that part of the world, that interpreter was being interpreted, I think, by five or six other language groups. So we had like six or seven languages and all being translated down the line, all the way around this huge soccer complex, people hearing the gospel in their own tongue. And so there was a little delay on everything, you know. And when they came to the end of the message, 
I invited those who wanted to, to, to leave all of their false gods, all of those, those false idols, and instead they wanted to put their faith in Christ and Christ alone for their soul's salvation. I invited them to leave their place and to come. A great number of people came, and when they came, they were met by counselors and taken and dealt with individually, and it was precious. And, and I'm standing there behind the pulpit, and, and music's being played, and folks are being dealt with. It's just a moment of silence, and I see this elderly woman coming down to the front. She was clothed in the traditional Hindu garb, head to foot. She must have been well into her 80s. She came, and she, she stood there in the front. She didn't understand all of the instructions. She was just doing what she knew to do. She came and stood at the front, and our eyes met. I couldn't speak her language, and she couldn't speak mine. I motioned for one of the women on the side, and a kind Indian Christian lady came over and, and took her and led her to the side. I didn't know why she'd come. It was late in the meeting. The next morning, we were getting ready to leave, and and one of the workers came to me and said, do you remember that old woman that came forward at the end of the meeting last night? I said, yes. They said, that was the most miraculous thing. I said, well, tell me about it. I said, that woman has been raised in her, her idolatry and all these gods all of her life. And she said, as she sat in the meeting last night, she recognized for the first time that the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the God who is the judge of all the earth, the God who is revealed through his perfect son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that that God was the only God, the, the high God, the true God. And when she got to the front, she said to the lady counselor in her language, we were in a place called Virapandi was the name of the place. And she said to the woman, she said, I came tonight because I want the God of Virapandi to be my God. You know what we need? We need some people to say, I, I, I'm sick of all of this peripheral stuff. I, I'm sick of all these secondary things. I want the God of the Bible to be my God. I want the God who is above all to be my God because he's higher than everything. Let me show you a verse. Hold your place here just a second. Go to the book of Isaiah, would you, real fast. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. This is wonderful. He says in verse number 17, All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted in less than nothing and vanity. You think God's blown away by anything going on in this world? God, God looks from heaven and laughs at the foolishness of man. Look at verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? What likeness will you compare unto him? And it describes people making their idols and forming their little gods. Look at verse 21 of Isaiah 40. Have ye not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Everybody put your eyes on Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing, he maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Let me tell you about my God. Can I tell you about my God? My God looks down from heaven, and the biggest people on earth look like grasshoppers to him. And yet, here's the flip side of that coin that is just mind-boggling to me, that a God who is that high would be this near, and a God who is that great would still love us. God 
would desire us to know him in a personal way. Think of his position. We could never get to God on our own, and so the high God made a way so lowly man could come to know him. There's a second truth. Go back to Genesis 14. I'll show you. Look at not only his position, look at his possessions. I don't know what kind of possessions you have, houses, cars, land, money in the bank. If you've got money in the market, it's less than it's ever been, right? Our possessions. Let me tell you what God possesses. Would you like to know what God owns? Let me give you the short version. You ready? Everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Every diamond mine in the world, it all belongs to him. It's all his. Look at verse number 19, the last phrase. After it says the Most High God, what does it say? Possessor of heaven and earth. Now, that was Melchizedek's word. Look at verse 22. Abram responds to the king of Sodom, says the same thing. The Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Heaven is his, earth is his. Did you know God can do with his possessions whatever he wants to do with his possessions? Someday he will. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Do you understand that someday the heavens are going to be on fire? That's right. And this earth we're, we're putting so much attention on right now is all going to burn up. It will be gone. You say, I don't believe that. You'll believe it someday. It's exactly what God said in his word. You can take it to the bank. The most high God owns it all. People say, we're going to live in heaven. Actually, you're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And would you like to know why there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? Because the old heaven and the old earth are going to pass away. God owns it all. I don't want to get sidetracked here. This is the first place in the Bible where you have tithes. The paying of the tenth. And I hear some people say, that's under the law. Brother, Abram was a long time before Moses. Do you know what the, the paying of the tithe here was an acknowledgement of? That God owned it all. Listen to me with your heart just a minute. This is not about money. This is about who God is. You know why I give the Lord the Lord's day? By the way, this is the Lord's day. You know why I sanctify the Lord's day in my own heart? Because in doing so, it reminds me that every day is God's gift to me and that the Lord owns all the days, and the least I can do is pause and honor him. You know why I pay the tithe and give offerings? Not because God needs my money. God doesn't need my money. He owns everything. I give that to God, not to a church. I give that to God. Do you know why? Not to a man, to God. Do you know why? Because in doing so, I'm recognizing that everything I have is the gift of Almighty God. James said every good and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Most High God, down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. His position is he's higher, and his possessions is he owns everything. There's a third thing I want you to see. Look at his protection. In verse 20, Melchizedek, blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. Can I tell you, it's God who delivers. Every time I walk off an airplane, somebody says, was it a good flight? If you walk off, it's a good flight. And frankly, I've been on a few through the years that I didn't know if I was going to walk off of or not. And after a while, you start realizing your life's in God's hands. Isn't it amazing how one day you can feel perfectly well and the next day be so sick you think you're going to die? 
how fragile our bodies are, how, how weak and frail we really are. On our best days, we're just altogether vanity apart from God. If God has given you health and breath and strength to be here today, it's because God is the one who's allowed that. We must never forget that the Most High God is the one who protects us from all of our enemies. Look, only God can deliver. Only God can deliver you from Satan's strategy. Only God can deliver you from the pull of this world. Only God can deliver you from yourself and your own sin. Only God can deliver. But praise God, he can and does deliver. He's the protector. And then another, look at his provision. Starting in verse 22, this is where the king of Sodom and said, let me pay you for this. Let me pay you for this. And I just, I love this. Abram said, I'm not taking anything from you, lest you say you have made Abram rich. You know what I see in this? Abram understood that he didn't look to man to meet his needs. He looked to God. Look at me just a moment. Can God use people to meet your needs, yes or no? Sure he can. But you know what I've learned? God may use many channels, but there's only one source. It's always God. And the moment we start thinking we can do this, we can produce this, or i got to lean on this person because they're going to take care of me, I want you to know at that moment you're not living the life of faith. The life of faith is the life that says I belong to God and God belongs to me and I'm going to trust him to meet every need in my life. You all know the greatness of Abram's character and faith? In the early stages, in the period of uncertainty, he was willing to say no to the riches of this world so they could have all that God had for him. I noticed this yesterday. Everybody look, please, at verse number 22. It's pretty serious. He said, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord. People come into a courtroom, we say, raise your right hand. What is this? Seriousness, soberness. Heart, right? This is powerful. Abram said, I just want you to know, sir, I know you have a lot of stuff and people think you're pretty powerful, but I raised my hand to God and I told God, God, everything I have comes from you and I'm trusting you. I love this. Do you see Abram's little hand? Look at Abram's little hand. You can't hold much in that little hand, but Abram had raised his hand to the God who held everything in his hand. It's not about what you can do or somebody else can do for you. It's about what only God can do for you. He is the most high God. Please don't miss this. Because in this passage, there is a beautiful picture of Jesus. Somebody said, no, preacher, we're in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Did you know every book of the Bible is really about Christ? In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. And in Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. And Leviticus, he's the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Numbers, he's the one guiding them, giving them water in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy, he's the judge and the lawgiver. And Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. And Judge, he's the righteous judge. And Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. And on and on and on. I wish I had time to walk you through the whole of Scripture. It's all pointing to Jesus. It's all leading to Jesus. It's, it's all about us knowing the Most High God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say, well, where is Christ in this? I'm glad you asked. Would you go to verse 18 and would you circle the name Melchizedek? Melchizedek. Now stay with me just a second. We're going somewhere. I want you to turn to Psalm 100 in your Bible, would you please? Excuse me, Psalm 110. We're in Genesis, right? 
Now we're going to the middle of the Bible. Psalm 110. It's one of the messianic psalms about Jesus who sits at the right hand. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That exact passage was quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ. You say you want to know who Jesus is? I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. You ready? Look at verse number 4. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. David's the one writing now. This is a long time after Abram. Thou art a priest forever after the order of who, church? Circle it in your Bible. So in Genesis, we meet Melchizedek. In Psalms, we have a reference to Melchizedek. Now come to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It's all connected. You understand? It's all connected, and it's all connected to Christ. Come with me to Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 5 and verse number 6. All about Christ. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of who? Huh. There it is again. Hebrews 5 verse 6, the order of Melchizedek. Come to chapter 6. You're in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 6, the last verse. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made and high priest forever after the order of who? Melchizedek. Can I tell you a little secret? The Jewish people, they thought it was all about Aaron. Aaron was the great high priest. I mean, surely, surely it had to be like Aaron. God says, no, no, my high priest is going to be higher than that. Remember the most high God? Look at chapter 7, verse 1. See if this sounds vaguely familiar. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. There have been some people who think that Melchizedek was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. I'm just going to tell you my opinion. I don't believe that to be true based on this phrase. Would you mark the phrase in verse 3? Melchizedek was made like to the Son of God. It doesn't say the Son of God was made like to him. Can I tell you why that is? Oh, I like this. Because Christ existed before Melchizedek. See, Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He is the eternal son of the living God. Co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He has always been. Let me tell you who Melchizedek is. Melchizedek is an Old Testament picture of the New Testament Savior and high priest that was to come. He was a little glimpse of the one who was to come in the days ahead. You're still in chapter 7, right? Look at verse number 17. He testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Come down to verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered a reason to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. I love verse 25. Wherefore, he is able, able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made. 
Stop and look at me just a minute. How many of you believe every word of Scripture is there on purpose? Yes? Do you believe the Holy Spirit of God who wrote it all, connected it all? I want you to look at the last phrase we find in this passage about Christ being after the order of Melchizedek. He is made what? Higher than the heavens. What was the first mention of Melchizedek way back in Genesis? To reveal to us the most what? High God. Oh, don't miss this church. Would you listen right now? Listen real careful. Because Genesis is not just about showing us his position and his possession and his protection and his provision. It is about showing us his priest. Do you understand? You can't know the most high God without knowing his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know the high God? You got to know the high priest. You want to know the high God? You can't reach to the high God. You can't get to the high God. You can't work and study enough to attain to the high God. So let me tell you what the high God did. The high God sent his son down in the form of a lowly man to this earth so that he could reveal God to us and make a way that man could be brought to God. Praise be unto the most high God for revealing himself through the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss the priest. I'm not your priest. Nobody in town's your priest. That man that preaches to you every Sunday, he's not your priest. No, no, we have a priest. Would you like to know his name? His name is Jesus. A friend of mine recently said he was in Rome. They were touring all those cathedrals and churches and looking at all the architecture. And he said, Scott, he said, one of the saddest things I've ever seen. He said, I walked in to one of those, one of those uh, uh, churches, and now because they've had so much problem with, with abuse, uh, the, uh, the confessional booths are open. There's no, no door, no curtain. They have to stay open all the time. He said, so you can see into both sides of them. And he said, I'm walking around just looking at the architecture. And he said, I looked over, and he said, there was a woman there on one side of the confessional booth. And he said, she was distraught. She said, he said, her tears streaming down her face. And you could tell by the way she was expressing, she was just overwrought with her sin. And he said, on the other side of the barrier where she could not see, there sat the priest with his head back against the wall, totally asleep. And he said, my heart broke as I thought, here's a woman who's trying to find some priest that will not only hear her, that will help her. And here's a man who can't do anything anyhow, even if he was awake. But what a picture of man trying to help man. Do you really think one sinner can complete another sinner? I tell you, we have a high priest, and his name is Jesus Christ. He came from the most high God to lowly man. Why? So that he could bring lowly man back to the most high God. You want to know God? You must know his son. Let's end where we started. Go back with me to Genesis, would you please? We'll return to this amazing book tonight, but I must show you one final thing. This is where it gets deeply personal. Remember I said to you that his name was Abram, Abram, Abram. We don't call him that now. He's famously known by a different name. What's his name, church? Say it, please. He is Abraham. Well, how'd that happen? Turn one page in your Bible, come to Genesis chapter number 17, because this is connected to the Most High God. God is speaking to him again. 
making covenant with him. Look at Genesis 17, verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. I don't know how, but I've read that for years and not connected it to what we just learned about the Most High God. But it's all connected. See, when God reveals himself, it's not just so you'll know something about him, it's so you'll be different. I say again, you can't meet the Most High God and be the same. It's impossible. You understand that in ancient civilization, names were really important. When we named our children, we chose names. We, we gave my son my first name, Christopher. But by and large, we chose the names because we liked the way they sounded. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're pretty superficial, aren't we? But in Bible days, they gave names because they actually meant something. In fact, the names of God, we're studying one of them. The Most High God, the name in that language was El Elyon. El Elyon, the Most High God. Names revealed nature. And when God changed people's heart, he very often changed their names. Study that all through Scripture. Uh, Simon, we're going to change your name, son. You, you'll be Peter. You know what's interesting about that? He, he named him the rock when he was the most emotional and vacillating and foot in mouth of all the disciples. You know why? Because he saw what he was going to make him, not what he was. At some point, Saul became who? Saul became Paul. And here, Abram becomes what? Abraham. Somebody say, well, that, that's interesting. No, it's more than interesting. Would you like to know what Abraham means? It's in the verse, father of many nations. That's his purpose, right? Through him, God was going to do something that would touch the whole earth. But would you like to know what Abram means? Abram means high father. In other words, literally, the exalted one. I love this. God said, Abram, I know you have that name. Let me tell you about myself. I'm the most high God. And I'll tell you what I think we're going to do since you know me now. We're going to change your name. Because now it won't be you thought of as high. You'll always realize I'm the high one. And when people look at your life, it won't be you they'll be impressed with. It'll be God working in you. Oh, I love this. Let, let me tell you what God's trying to do this week. God wants us to know the most high God, but God wants us to get a little lower. Look, please, when we get low, he gets high. When, when we come to the end of ourselves, we enter into all the fullness and power of Almighty God. It, it's one of the, one of the great uh, contrasts with the way this world works. It's one of the things that, that works against logic, but the lower you go, the higher you go. It's a most amazing thing. And when you finally realize it's not about you, it's all about God, it changes everything. This is what it is to have an encounter with the Most High God.
If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday. Thank you.